Hey, y'all, and welcome to The Podluck, serving up bite-sized tastes of the best theology. I'm your host, Megan Westra. Grab a plate, and let's dig in. This is the first full episode of season three of the Podluck, in which we are going to be working our way slowly but surely through the gospel of Matthew. Uh, If you haven't yet listened to it, there are three preseason episodes that came out last Wednesday. If you want to go back and just listen to those quickly, they'll help you get grounded in this conversation. They'll help you kind of figure out what are the important questions to hold in your mind as we are talking about the Bible, talking about uh, particular passages in the Bible, and that's really, really important. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at just the first part of chapter one of Matthew. I told y'all it was going to be a slow walk through. Very slow, very steady. Here's what I'm going to do. I am going to remind you of our three big questions that we want to hold on to anytime we're reading scripture. And then I will read the passage out loud for you. I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. But if you want to read along in whatever translation you normally use, that's fine. Uh, But I will read it aloud in case you're listening while you're driving or doing something else and you don't have time to stop and read the scripture for yourself. And then I will give you some insights, some thoughts, some background info. I'll do just like riff on it a little bit. We're just going to, we're just going to talk Bible for a little bit. Okay. And then we will wind things down. So a little bit different than our format for the first two seasons, uh, but that's how things are going to go this time. Cool. So going back to the three big questions, and we talked about these in preseason episode two. And so go back and make sure you listen to that whole like little micro mini episode, uh, so you get the full context of this. But whenever we're reading the Bible, it's really important that we remember a few things. First of all, it's important to remember who you are, that you aren't reading the text with some sort of like magical lenses that eliminate any sort of bias, any sort of cultural understanding, any sort of uh, things that you might be reading onto the text. The Bible is not special in that way. We come to the text with all of our background, all of our prejudices, all of our biases. If you've grown up in the church, you come to the text with things that other people have taught you. Some of them are helpful and some of them may not be. And so it's good to take stock of who you are, what you're coming to this text with. I approach the Bible personally, with a lot of privilege as a white, cis, het, married, able-bodied, currently educated, middle-class woman in the United States who is a citizen. Uh, Like, There's a lot of privilege that I'm coming to this text with, and that's not who the original audience of these texts were. And so I already need to be aware that I am going to need to do some work to understand how these texts would land with the original audience and who would be challenged by them and in what way. So 
who are you? It's the first question. The second question is to ask who is the writer or the writers of the text and their intended audience. I cover that in the preseason episode uh, number three for this uh, for this particular season. So you can go back and listen to that. And then the other question for us to really hold on to today is so what? That if we are reading this text, if we're reading scripture, if, if scripture is to be inspired at all, then it must be made manifest in our lives in some way. It has to do something to us. It has to move us in some way. Our faith must be embodied if it's to be worth anything at all. And so we always want to hold on to the question, so what now that we've read this text? So today we are cracking open the book of Matthew. Can you hear that? This is my, my actual real life paper Bible with the crinkly little thin pages and everything. Uh, so if you hear some, some background noises, so it's just me turning paper pages, living my best analog life. Matthew 1, starting in verse 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abuid, and Abuid the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, and is called the Messiah. So all the generations of Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now, I don't know about you, but when I used to come across passages like this in the Bible, it was like a free pass. 
I grew up in communities where we would often try to challenge ourselves in middle school or in high school to like read the whole Bible in one year or to read certain uh, numbers of verses every day or whatever. And coming across a long list of names that I didn't know how to pronounce and probably still didn't pronounce them the best even today after years of seminary was like getting a blank check of sorts. I could just breeze through them and not really give too much time or attention to what the name said, how they were pronounced, what was going on, because who cares about a genealogy anyway? Why does it matter? I don't know who any of these people are. There's a few names in this list that I recognize from other places in the Hebrew Bible, the Christian Old Testament, But not a thing. Over time, though, I started to realize that these pieces are far from being easy, breezy, blank check passages where I could unplug my brain and skim over the verses and feel like I got my gold star for the day. Genealogies were important, and they tell us something about who Jesus is where he was coming from, and also what the author is trying to convey in this book. You see, it matters where we come from. Whether you are proud of your background and you're close with your family of origin and you feel really rooted and connected with the city or the town that you came from, or whether that's a painful memory that comes with a lot of complicated uh, stories, maybe some trauma, lots of baggage. We are who we are because of the people in our past. Those who came before us and those who raised us, the stories that we were told around kitchen tables and campfires. And even more so, Matthew here, the author of Matthew, takes the form of writing a Greek bios. Uh, We use the root of that to write words like biography or biology. It, It means life. And unlike our understanding of biography, when we typically think of it trying to be as unbiased as possible of a view at somebody's life, kind of a historical look where Of course, everybody has a little bit of bias, but we're really just trying to give you a picture of this person's life. The Greek bias really had this this drive of, this is what I want you to think about this person. There's an agenda there, kind of like we talked about in the preseason episodes. When we talk about the agenda isn't a bad thing, even if we think about it that way sometimes, it's just the author being honest. This is what I want you to take away. It's a communication style. Like at the beginning of this episode, I told you what to expect as far as format goes. And so he's being really intentional. The author is being really intentional in how he tells this genealogy. What exactly do we need to know about where Jesus came from? And how is that going to inform what we think about the life and ministry of Jesus as it unfolds in the coming text? Remember again that chapters and verse numbers, those weren't a thing when this was being written. Matthew's setting the stage really intentionally, never imagining that someone like me would 
see this list of names years later and think, oh, good, I can check out for this part. And furthermore, all of those names would have had more impact that Matthew was writing a gospel to a predominantly Jewish audience. And so all of these names, people from years past, the patriarchs, you see them named Abraham and Isaac, that would have mattered. That would have meant something. That would have put people in a certain frame of reference, a certain frame of mind, not necessarily so unlike the way that there's certain foods or certain locations or certain movies that if you mention one thing for me, it it doesn't just stay with the one thing. At the risk of sounding reductive or silly, if we talk about macaroni and cheese, it's never just about, oh, now we're talking about macaroni and cheese. Now, if you Talk about macaroni and cheese. I'm going to think about my great-grandmother who lived across the creek from me growing up, at least for some of my childhood. She lived to be 102 years old, which is ridiculous. But I remember being a small child, like I had to have only been like four or five years old, and she could still cook and get around the house, and so they would have family over for lunch on I'm just going to be honest, I don't remember what days of the week it was, but it was like set days of the week. And she would make this incredible bubbly baked macaroni and cheese where the edges would get that crispy brown uh, bubbled caramelized top to them the way that cheese does in, in an oven when it's been baked really well. And then you could dig into it. And it, it, you had to like put some heft behind the spoon to get it through the macaroni and cheese. There was like a custard almost about it. Oh my gosh. Like even now I can remember the way that it tasted in some small ways. And then that makes me think of my great grandfather and his bread and butter pickles that he would make every year and he would keep them in their root cellar under the house. And that's takes me back to that moment. Just because you said macaroni and cheese, all of a sudden I'm five years old again around my great-grandmother's table with pickles and macaroni and cheese. And I'm sure there were other things I ate too. I'm sure that my mother did not let me just get by on pickles and macaroni and cheese, but those are the things I remember loving at that table. And it was loud because I have a big family All of a sudden, we're not talking about macaroni and cheese anymore, but that's all you said. That was the only word you said. And so we need to think about these names in a similar way. That, yeah, it's Abraham and Isaac and Zerubbabel and David and Joash. But it's not just those names. The names take the first hearers or readers of this text into a different moment, different memory, different time with people and things happening and ways that God was faithful and ways that they were confused because it seems like God is absent. Did you forget? Yeah. 
And so the genealogy is so much more than a list of names. In his commentary on the book of Matthew, Yusuf Gonzalez writes, In order to understand Jesus, one has to understand the history of what God did amid God's people, preparing the way centuries before. It's never just about what's happening on the surface. Just like when you say mac and cheese, I'm all the way back at my great-grandmother's table. I've left the conversation. History, context, and particularity matter. They're not just words on a page. They're bringing us into a moment. Again, this genealogy invites us to reject this like purely spiritual reading of the text that we talked about in the preseason. Genealogy is literally putting flesh and blood and tears and sweat and calluses on feet onto Jesus, reminding us that this isn't just some spiritual Messiah come to save your soul. This is a Jewish Messiah who came from people who were exiled, born among people living under occupation. This is a brown-skinned Palestinian Jew whose mother, people had their, uh, their, their questions about her. Which brings me to the last thing I want to talk about and draw attention to in the genealogy. There's four women listed here, five if you count Mary. And that the women are mentioned at all is, is pretty noteworthy. It wasn't common at this time for people to list mothers in lists of genealogy, at least not in Jewish culture. And if they were listed at all, it was because the, the, the woman or the mother supported the family line in some prestigious sort of way. Like if you had a really notable mother or her family was really important in the community, then you would list her just to kind of add to the strength of the posterity of the line, but that's not what's happening here. All four of the women who are listed are Gentiles. They're not Jewish. They come from other nations, other religions, other expressions of faith and life. And so we have to then ask ourselves, why why is Matthew including these women? Why is the author of this gospel starting this account of the life of Jesus? This is the most important thing for you to know about Jesus and what Jesus is doing in the world. The author starts by saying there were four women in this line and none of them were Jewish. And all of them had unprecedented circumstances and impossible situations thrust upon them. You can go back and read 
the stories of all four of these women in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, Tamar, Rahab, Matthew calls her the wife of Uriah, but we know her name was Bathsheba, Ruth. You can go back and read the stories of all of these women, and it, it's not easy reading. It's not light reading. Tamar is widowed and left childless and then tricks her father-in-law into sleeping with her so that she can bear a son because her father-in-law has refused to let her marry his youngest son, thus breaking with tradition. Rahab hides Jewish spies in the city of Jericho, which would, would potentially be seen as betraying her people, possibly. Bathsheba is raped by King David. Ruth is left widowed and childless and penniless and follows her mother-in-law back to her home land and works in the fields and seduces Boaz. These women give us a glimpse of people who found their space in the story of what God was doing in the world despite unprecedented challenges and terrible heartbreak and violation. And in the midst of that, they not only continued to take risks to continue to advance God's purposes and what God was doing in the world, but they claimed their own space and purpose inside of that. There's an audacity to the ways in which these women move within their own stories. The ways in which they continue to shape and move, most notably Bathsheba. And Dr. Will Gaffney does a good treatment of her in her work, Womanist Midrash, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But, but tracing the line from a survivor of rape to Bathsheba becoming one of the most trusted advisors to King Solomon during his reign, during her son's reign. These are women who life was happening to them and life in patriarchal society where they were treated as property and they found ways to say, and here are my terms back to what was happening. In her blog post about these four women, Carolyn Custis James writes, these four leave a courageous legacy for a fifth bold risk taker. For Mary will also face suspicion and danger for agreeing to mother Jesus. And so these women are included outsiders in every way. They shouldn't be named on the basis of sex. They shouldn't be named on the basis of ethnic background or religious background. They shouldn't be named because of ill repute. And yet, Matthew puts them front 
and center in this genealogy. Named among the patriarchs and the kings. And so from the get-go, we're invited to ask the question, what kind of Messiah is this? How broad is salvation? And who is it for and by whom does it come? From the get-go, those who have power and privilege and the most reputable bloodlines the most prestigious genealogies are confronted with an uncomfortable truth. It says that's not the story that God is unfolding in our midst. It's not the best, the brightest, the most noteworthy through whom God is moving. And that's where the story begins. So that was the first part of the first chapter of Matthew. And we will be back next Wednesday with the next installment Also, as part of this season of the Podlock, over on Patreon, I'm offering like centering, deepening exercises every Friday that correspond and uh, hopefully help you kind of sit with and and know what to do with the content of today's podcast. So uh, if you would like to join us over on Patreon, uh, the audio of those uh, kind of like centering prayer Uh, imaginative prayer kind of practices. Uh, Those go up every Friday morning. And so you are invited to join us. All levels of support get access to those. Uh, There's some other bonuses for different levels of support if you are interested in other things as well. Um, But join us over on Patreon if you want to kind of sit with and center um, on this text and these teachings a little bit more as we kind of dig into them and try to figure out how to live them. Also, if you're enjoying this, make sure that you leave a rating or review so that you make it easier for other people to find the podluck. Um, If they're just surfing around the podcast feeds and seeing what's popular, um, your rating and review helps go a long way on that front. And you can always share this and any other podcast episode on social media at Podluck Podcast or at the Podluck Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Thanks so much for tuning in today. As always, I have been your host, Megan Westra. We'll be back next week uh, grabbing a plate and digging into Matthew chapter 2.